Hey, before we get started with this brand new episode, I want to make sure you saw the awesome audiobook deals that I just posted on readaloudrevival.com. This last weekend, I found over 100 amazing kids audiobook deals, and they're all listed for you at readaloudrevival.com slash audio. They are categorized by age, and actually just now, I went through and I marked my top five favorites for each age category, because 100 is a lot, right? And if you went to the audiobook deals page and thought, I don't even know what to choose. Well, go click on those categories and see which five are my top favorite in each category so you know where to start. Again, it can all be found at readaloudrevival.com slash audio. listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here, and you've got episode 116 of the Read Aloud Revival Today, I've got a guest here to talk with us about reading with babies, about connection parenting, and about a project she's got going on to get books into the hands of every child. It's a really, really fun conversation. So I'm glad you've joined us. Before we get started, can I ask you a favor? We would love it if you would go to the Read Aloud Revival on iTunes and leave us a rating and or a review. Those help us so much because every time we get more ratings and reviews, or people hit that subscribe button in iTunes, iTunes shows the podcast to more families. And that means that more families get the tools and resources and encouragement they need to make meaningful and lasting connections with their kids through books. So appreciate all of you who took a couple minutes to do that for us. We read every review and we're so grateful for it. Just go to iTunes and search for Read Aloud Revival. Okay, I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. So let's get on with the show. Leo is an independent scholar in human development. She's a parent educator, a certified childbirth educator, a doula, a parent, a grandparent. (laughs) She wears many hats and she's been studying human behavior since her first child was born in 1972. She's explored child development, psychology, sociology, and anthropology in an effort to understand the parent-child bond and how we can best parent our kids starting from the moment we find out they're on the way. She's the author of a book called Connection Parenting, and she also teaches workshops, including one called Bonding with Your Baby. So today I invited her to the Read Aloud Revival to tap into her wisdom as we talk about connecting with our tiniest children through books. I want to talk about reading aloud with babies, and I couldn't think of somebody better to do it with than Pam Leo. Pam, we are so glad to have you here today. Welcome to the Read Aloud Revival. I am so excited to do this with you, Sarah. I listen to the podcast all the time, so I was totally honored to be able to do this with you. Oh, well, we have been wanting to do an episode on reading with babies, and we have been admiring your work at the Book Fairy Pantry Project, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So I just knew it would be a great conversation. You have so much enthusiasm and such a heart for connection between parents and kids and, and between children and books that, I mean... Really, you're just like a perfect fit for the Read Aloud Revival podcast. (laughs) 
So before we get started, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, maybe a little more about your family and your work? Sure. Well, I'm supposedly retired, but I've never been busier. (laughs) (laughs) Children's books my entire adult life have been a passion for me, and there's so many of them that I had never read, so I always buy them. So moving into the Book Fairy Project was just a natural progression from the Connection Parenting. It was a way to marry both of my loves, so I get to kind of do both because what I do a lot of today is talk with parents still about connection, but about connecting through reading aloud to their children. Now, you homeschooled your own daughters, is that right? That's right. And then you've taught parenting programs in the prison system. I've actually worked at the main Correctional Center with inmate parents, and the rate of illiteracy in the prisons is between 60 and 70 percent. So when I wrote Connection Parenting, I made sure that I wrote it on a fifth grade level. And that was a challenge. But also, I recorded it as an audiobook, number one, because I love audiobooks. But I also wanted it to be accessible to all parents, regardless of their level of literacy. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with teen parents and parents in recovery, pretty much parents in most situations in life. That's amazing. I had no idea the literacy rate was so high in the prison system. Oh, illiteracy in the prisons. And I mean, it's so bad that inmates who who do get help, like get their GED while they're incarcerated or, or get, you know, their reading level up there, the rate of recidivism drops dramatically for the people who learn to read better while they're incarcerated. It's wow. amazing. Wow. So they're, they're not coming back at the same rate as people who still are unable to read when they're released. So I know you say that our effectiveness as parents is in direct proportion to the strength of the bond that we have with our child. Can you talk more about that? What do you mean by that? Well, there's a quote that I love that I included in my book, and it's actually from a song by Bob Dylan. And it goes, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. And if children are going to care about what we think, how we feel, what we want, that's going to be because they are connected to us and have a bond with us. We don't care about those things with people that we're not connected to and we don't have a bond with. And so, you know, if we're going to expect them to follow our role model, to listen to, you know, what we care about, what we need, what matters, we need to have that bond with them. And for them, I mean, they are they come into the world biologically wired to have that bond with another human being. One of the things that I say is connection is what turns human babies into human beings. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, you're speaking my language here because you're talking all about (laughs) connection, which, of course, is what we're all about at Revival. I love it so much. And I'm glad that you mentioned the effects of the connection on babies because that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about reading with babies. I think sometimes parents question if it makes sense to read to babies, especially if they're rolling around. You can't tell if they're listening or... You know, they don't seem to be paying attention because they're chewing on their toes. (laughs) What does your research say? What do you know about reading with babies? Everything that I, well, I'll do both. My personal experience and every, all my research, but all of my research says that to start, I mean, there are people who read while they're in utero and they've actually done research that shows this one study that they did this. They read the same story over and over. It was Dr. Seuss actually. And when the baby was born, and they read the story, the baby showed signs of recognition because babies hear after the fifth natal month. So 
you know, they come out, if you've been reading to them in utero, they, you know, they recognize that. But even if you don't do that, I mean, if you can start just as soon as possible, the first day, the first week, and they love our voice, the best of any voice. And it doesn't even matter if we're reading them a children's book, you know, we might be cramming for an exam and reading aloud. Uh, Mem Fox in her book, Reading Magic, talks about having had a student who had a baby at a time when she was still in school and that that's what she did. She read the papers that she had to read aloud to her baby so she could do both be close with her baby and get her schoolwork done. It doesn't really matter what we're reading. It's the closeness and listening to the rhythm of the written word that just the babies just are entranced by it, and they begin to associate books with being held, with being loved, with having attention. And so right from the very beginning, they love books because it is love to them. Yeah, it's like they they associate words and language and reading with that warmth and love and connection, which is so Absolutely. beautiful. Yeah, I love the book Reading Magic. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's Mem Fox's book that Pam just mentioned for you listeners who caught that. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's really wonderful. I'd love to get Mem Fox on the podcast at some point to chat about it. One of the things about that story about the mom who was cramming for a test and was reading, I remember when my oldest, Audrey, who's now 16, as we're recording this, when she was brand new, I wanted to read, but she was a very high maintenance baby, shall we say. She didn't like to be put down. She didn't like my attention directed elsewhere. But I found I could read my own books as long as I read them out loud. <laughs> I could read them because she would be quiet. Yes. Yeah. And I, so it didn't matter yes, that she didn't absolutely. understand because I wasn't reading it for her to get the book. I just wanted her to stop crying so I could, <laughs> I could read the book. <laughs> right. I kind of forgot that. And you got to read. It's a win-win. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what kind of expectations? You know, one of the things that I've noticed Talking to parents about reading with toddlers or preschoolers is we do tend to have that sort of anxiety about like what is appropriate for our child to do in their reading. But what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if, you're, if your babies are asleep. It doesn't matter if they're awake. It doesn't matter if they right. are, right? <laughs> it, okay. It really doesn't because, I mean, the reading voice is so different than the speaking voice. You know, it has a different rhythm and it's very comforting. So, you know, when they're little babies, I mean, they really, you know, will just be in your arms. But, you know, once they can crawl away and that sort of thing, if we have started reading really early, they're attracted by it. I, you know what I used to do with my youngest daughter, who's now grown with children of her own? But if I said, OK, it's time to go upstairs, we're going to read, it's time for bed, she wouldn't want to come upstairs. And so I would go to the top of the stairs and sit on the top step and start reading the book loud. <laughs> you are brilliant. You just solved my bedtime. You just solved my bedtime issue because we've got two five-year-olds and a six-year-old who should come upstairs when I tell them it's bedtime, but they don't. And now I know if I sit on the top step and start reading their story, that will totally work. Yeah, I don't know why missed. I've never thought they of that before. They don't want to miss the word of it. And let's talk favorites, because I know you've got to have some good book recommendations for babies. Do you have any favorites that you love to recommend to parents who are looking for something fun to read with their babies? Because, of course... Oh, I do. And, oh, gosh. Well, one of the things that... Oh, I, I did want to finish saying, too. So if we maybe haven't read to them as early, if we didn't get that start, and they're a little older when we start reading to them, I find that 
for toddlers, especially interactive books, really hold their attention. So if there are flaps to lift and things to touch and, you know, not so much ones that have batteries and to talk and all those sorts of things, but mm-hmm. just lift the flap kind of things and, you know, tactile kinds of things, those really kind of draw them in. But it really doesn't matter. And if we keep it short, you know, like have a story before breakfast or before you get out of bed, all through the day, there's little spots where you could read a little short story. But, you know, anything with with rhythm and rhyme and repetition, they love that. And what I especially love is songs. There are so many songs, like Raffi songs that have been turned into books. So if we start singing those songs to them really early, then when they're in our laps and we have the, the song that's been turned into a book, they know what's coming next because we've been reading it to them. Yes. And so then when they move a little further and they actually are, you know, reading words, they also know what's coming. And one of the things that I figured out, there's a, a woman in my building, and I didn't know this when I first knew her, but she had a motorcycle accident and she had a traumatic brain injury and she could no longer read as an adult. And I had been giving her books for her granddaughter without knowing this. And when I found out, I said, I have some books that I think will work really well for you. And it was the Rosemary Wells books that are like Twinkle, Twinkle and Itchy Bitsy yes. Spider. She remembered the song. So when she would turn the pages, the words made sense to her. And it made me oh, cry. I just oh. was so thrilled. And she was so thrilled. She said, I read this to my granddaughter because I remembered the song. And so that really sent me a whole, in a whole other direction, too. I now have a little songbook that's called Singing is Key to Literacy, which it so is. Yeah. So there's so much that you can do with toddlers with songs. And, you know, like there are, there's the book, You Are My Sunshine. I mean, there's all kinds of the Raffi songs are books. So those are some of my absolute favorites. Yeah, those Raffi books. Yeah, those Raffi books, Baby Beluga and Down by the Bay. I remember we had those board books in Mine Were Babies yes. and they loved them. They do. They absolutely love them. And you said tactile. And yet, even and if you don't have the book with you, you know, you exactly. can sing it. <laughs> you know, yes. here somewhere. Exactly. The tactile thing too, because I think all of my babies loved those books that had like puppies where you'd rub the ear and it was soft or the, t- yes. you know, the sandpaper tongue <laughs> or, you know, yes. yeah, <laughs> they love you know, those. something hiding behind the flap, like who's in there. Yeah. And like they a, love it. Know, they love that. They, people. especially once you've read it 20,000 times and they know, you know, they, but you watch them like mm-hmm. wiggle with anticipation. <laughs> like they just know what's behind <laughs> that door. <laughs> so good. They do. They know what's coming. And my, uh, one of my other favorite, there's two other favorites that I have. One are sign language books because I am a major fan of, you know, babies learning, you know, even if it's four or five signs, I mean, it totally changes the whole connection between the parent and child. You know, if they can put their little fingers together and go more and we know what they mean, yeah. I mean, that's connection. If it's, you'll it's heard. not just communication, yeah. it's connection. So there's, and there's loads of them. I did an article on it once called Signs of Connection. And what was I going to say? Oh, the other one is wordless books. I love wordless books because then a four-year-old sibling can read a wordless book to their two-year-old sibling, you know, because they can just imagination read it. That's a a term I just coined. A Facebook post came across of this adorable little girl reading to her cat, and it was clearly a chapter book, and she was clearly not even school age, and she was just inventing it. She was imagining this story that she was reading to her cat who was loving every word of it. 
And I, I used to call it baby reading because I've seen babies pick up books and they'll, if they've been read to enough, they will do the whole thing. Turn the pages, say the words, turn another page. So I always called it baby reading. But when I saw this post, I'm like, well, she's not a baby, but she's clearly not a reading age yet yeah. either. And so I thought it's really, a, she's using her imagination to be a reader. So I just called it imagination reading. That's, and that's, that's, that's really the first term. step to actual reading. It's such a good term. It's such an apt an apt term for exactly what that is. One of my favorite wordless books is Pancakes for Breakfast by Tommy DePella. Me too, me too. <laughs> you want to know what I did with that? What? I always take my mom to IHOP on Wednesday. It's just her thing. Uh-huh. The Read Aloud 15 Minutes, did they feature different projects. And this one project that got featured was these, they called them restaurant readers. And they took books and they laminated them and then put like zip t- hole punched them and zip tied them so that you could turn the pages and brought them to restaurants. And because they were laminated, they could be wiped off between everyone who used them. Mm-hmm. So I made one of pancakes for breakfast to take to them at IHOP and they loved it. I <laughs> it bet they so did. Fun. It's so perfect. It was so perfect. Yeah, it was really great. I also love, I'm sure you like this one too, Goodnight Gorilla by Peggy Rathman. <gasps> have such a sweet story to tell you about oh, Goodnight good. Gorilla. I go into the, the county jail and I work with parents there to coach them on reading aloud to their children over the phone. Because for many of them, that's the only way that over the phone is the only way they stay connected to their children. And I mean, how do you talk to three-year-olds on the phone? It's good challenging, but if yeah. you can read them a story. So I said to the so men, smart. it was the men's class at the time, I said, if you can find out what your children's favorite books are, I will find them for you and I will bring them in and you will have them to read to them. And so this one dad said to me, he said, I have three-year-old twins. And he said, do you think you could get me Goodnight Gorilla? And I said, well, sure. I said, but that might be a little challenging to read on the phone since it's mostly a wordless book. And he said, yeah, but you know, the little mouse with the banana and it's on every page. And I could say to them, where's the mouse with the banana? And I'm oh. thinking, this dad knows his oh, stories. no And so kidding. I left my time with them. I went around the corner to one of my favorite book thrift shops, walked in. What was the first book I found? No way. Good Night Gorilla. I bought it, turned back, got back in my car, drove back around the block and dropped it off at the jail and said, make sure this person gets this book. That is amazing. amazing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I can just... (laughs) Believe it. I know, and I can just hear Dad's voice over the phone, you know. And the kids think they could picture it in their imagination, or maybe they have a copy of it on their lap. Well, we and got them two copies, so we mailed home a copy, and oh, he has a copy. Gosh, I just cannot yeah. love that anymore. Oh my goodness! Oh, <laughs> it's so great. Plus, if you think about it, you know, say their favorite book was Thomas the Train or something. Yeah. And so the dad gets on the phone, or the mom gets on the phone, and says. Oh, I got a book out of our library here to read to you tonight. Do you like Thomas? So here's this child on the other end going, Thomas? That's my favorite instant connection. Instant. Yep, instantly. I'm trying to think of some other wordless books that our listeners may not have heard of. Um, Maybe the Peter Spire books like Rain and there's like a Noah's Ark one. And I'm trying to think of a lot of wordless books that are just... And have you seen Chalk? I don't think so. Chalk? Oh, my goodness. It's called Chalk. Okay. It is one of, it's new, fairly new, I think, but it was new to me when I got introduced to it a couple months ago. 
And it's about these three children who come onto a playground, and there's this big dinosaur kind of uh, thing that you climb on or oh, whatever, like Tyrannosaurus Rex. Okay. And there's this bag hanging there of chalk. And they look in it, and they take out the chalk, and they start drawing on the pavement. And whatever they draw happens. Like this one girl drew butterflies, and all of a sudden butterflies come up off the pavement and this whole thing. So there's two girls and a boy, and the boy gets this most mischievous look on his face, and he draws this Tyrannosaurus Rex, really (laughs) ferocious, and up it springs, and they're all terrified, and they run to hide in the slide, and he's coming after them. And I won't tell you the ending because it's too cool how it ends, but I can't recommend that book highly enough called Chalk. I can't think of the author right at the moment. I'm looking at it online as you described it. It's Bill Thompson, and we will put a link to it in the show notes. And I'm going to get my hands on this because it looks, the illustrations look fantastic. It is fabulous. And the ending is just unbelievable, the ending of the book. I just, I won't ruin it for anybody because it's so spectacular. Now we're all going to scramble out to our libraries. The library hold list just got very long on chalk. Okay, so before we hopped on, you told me about some research that you dug up. Can you tell our listeners about that? Because I loved hearing what you had to say about that. I started researching. I do this all the time, and it's so much fun. I'll put the benefits of, and whatever it is I want to know. So I put the benefits of children hearing live storytelling. And whoa, a couple of articles came up that just were so exciting to me that were saying that when you hear someone telling a story, and I'm, I'm thinking reading probably as well, that it isn't even just a story part of your brain that becomes activated. It's, you know, if they're telling about, and I was cold and hungry, those parts of your brain that would have to do with being cold or being hungry also light up. So there's all this brain activity that is happening when we're listening to a story. And so one of the things I had said is, Well, I mean, no wonder that children who have been read to from birth to school age start out with such an advantage in being able to learn to read because the best way that I show it to parents is, you know, Legos, like Duplos. Yeah. And they have those little mats that you can build on. Oh, yeah. I'll say, okay, this this mat is your child's brain at birth. And every story you read to them, every song you sing to them, add another Lego, add another Lego, add another Lego, every story, every song. Do you want to send your child off to school or homeschool with this size brain or this size brain? Because every one you add is going to increase what they have to work with. And it's just such a visual way of getting at how much it matters that we read to them and sing to them. I love that that metaphor. Yeah, I love that visual image. That's exactly what Jim Trulli spent the entire book, basically, of the Read Loud Handbook convincing us of, I think, is basically we know for uh, certain that children who are read to have better vocabulary and that vocabulary at kindergarten age is a big indicator of how hard, difficult, or 
not difficult, that schooling will be. And so we can set our kids up for success. It's exactly like you're saying. We're just piling those Legos on with every story that we read aloud. So uh, his book was like the first one that so, you know, turned me on to how important it is to read to children. I mean, that book is like the, you know, the foundation of the literacy movement, in my opinion. It really is. You know, it's the first book I read where I realized it was it was like a, a watershed moment for my myself because I realized, oh, we don't just read aloud until our kids can read. You know, I always thought, yeah, of course you read aloud to kids because they can't read to themselves. And then once they can read to themselves, you set them loose. And that was the first book that challenged that that idea yeah. for me and said, no, no, reading aloud is a value all of its own and it could, should still continue to be done. And I knew instinctively that I enjoyed being read to long after I could read on my own. But I just... That I needed that book. I needed that book to convince me that it was and to show me how much it mattered. So absolutely. There was one day my daughters were seven years apart, so it was really hard to read aloud something that was appropriate for both of them. Yes. But one New Year's Day, we were supposed to go to like this party and we wake up to it's snowing. And it's like little snow, big snow, and it was going and going. And I thought, there's no way we're going to end up leaving our <laughs> road today. And so I said, why don't you get one of the books that you got for Christmas? And we'll we'll start reading that. And it was Bridge to Terabithia. Oh. And we started reading that aloud. When we, find, we, we ended up stopping mid-afternoon to eat the potluck dish we had made that we were obviously not taking anywhere. And we finished the entire book that day. It's a, it was the first time we had ever read a whole chapter book at one sitting. Wow. And I mean, they'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. That what I mean, that day just will stand out in our minds forever. Plus, it's such an incredible book. But I could barely talk at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, <laughs> you know, to just hear them say, oh, just one more chapter, one more chapter, one more page, one more chapter. You can't stop now. <laughs> That's like the best. It doesn't get any better than that. I agree. I do. I know. I I completely agree. When my kids go, just one more, especially when I'm thinking like, when I'm thinking, it's like past their bedtime and I'm like, eh, can I read you just a little bit more? That's when you, you know, you stumbled on a winner. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us about the Book Fairy Pantry Project? I would love to tell you about it. So I am a great grandmother and that is because my granddaughter had a baby two years ago. And I knew that one of the most important things in his life was going to be that they read to him. So I was writing a letter. I was a doula. So I also got to be at the birth. Only I wasn't in the role of doula, but there were like four doulas in the room because so many people in my family are doulas. <laughs> and I was writing this letter to my granddaughter telling her how important it was going to be to read to David every day. And, to you know, I at her baby shower, they did this beautiful thing where they had these cards and people wrote promise cards. And some people wrote like, you know, I'll bake cookies with him or I'll take him fishing. And so my promise card was you will always have the best books. And so when I was writing this letter, I said, I will make sure that he has books all the time and you please make sure, you know, that you read to him. And somehow that letter morphed into the poem, which became Please Read to Me. And I was like, whoa, I don't even write poetry. <laughs> and um, I mean, sometimes I do, but not usually. And I was like, this is an awesome poem. I wonder who would be interested in it. So I started Googling, you know, early literacy, family literacy things. And these same statistics kept coming up on every site. 
you know, that two-thirds of the 15.5 million children living in poverty in this country do not own even one book. I was dumbfounded. Can I was you, like, can you repeat that? that? Not, yeah, repeat that statistic <laughs> because that's so, mind-blowing. Well, two-thirds of the 15.5 million children living in poverty in this country do not have even one book to call their own. I just couldn't believe it. And then it kept coming up on site after site. 10 million children in this country who do not own one book. And I was just like, I just couldn't imagine that this could be. And I'm like, you know what? I, as a private citizen, can do something about this. Yes, there are all these literacy organizations. And I thought, I don't know how, but I'm going to do something about this. And then a few days later, um, I was at my mom's and her television was on. They were talking about gearing up for a food drive for the food pantries. And I was like, food pantries? Food pantries? So one in five children is food insecure, and one in four is not learning to read. Bingo. Mm. We already have in place, every community has food pantries. So the very families who are using the food pantries are the very families who don't have books in the home. The number one indicator that children will arrive at school ready to learn to read is the number of books in their home in the preschool years. Yes. Not their parents' education level. I mean, and of course, being read to, but they're not going to be read to if there are no books in the home. Kind of hard to do it when they're not available. Well, I think Jim Trillis mentions that too in the Read Aloud Handbook. Just that even if they don't get picked up off the shelf and read, just the sheer number of books like regardless yeah. of how much those books are read, it's it's kind of astounding. Yeah. The presence of books. It is. Yeah. And so, I mean, being the Goodwill shopper that I am, I'm just a major fan of repurposing and recycling and all that. I knew there was no shortage of gently used books in this country. There's just, they're everywhere. And so I thought, well, what if the people who have books, instead of just dropping them at their local thrift store or wherever, if they could bring them to the food pantries and they could be given to the people who need them. So it's kind of a Robin Hood kind of project in a way that not that I steal the books from the rich and give them to the poor, that's not it. But it's in that direction that people, it gives children especially, this is one of the things I love so much about it, is that it's children helping children to end illiteracy. And I, so I do this, you know, circle of literacy where, so we do book drives at the school. So they bring books to the school, donate them. I get them to the food pantries. The parents come to the food pantries, pick out books, which, I mean, if you're struggling to buy enough food, you don't have a budget to buy children's books. So how often do you get to be the one who picks out the books for your children? And I mean, one of the things that I learned from working with the incarcerated parents was that no matter what their parenting circumstances, every parent desperately wants to do for their own children. I mean, even though they appreciate everything anyone else does for their children, they want to do for their own children. So they get to be, you know, say they have three children. Oh, well, Bobby loves dinosaurs. Let's get him this book on dinosaurs. And Sally loves horses. We'll get her this horse book. And oh, let's get a board book for the baby. So when those books come home, they get to be the hero. They get they have presents for their children. And they're way more invested in reading them to them. And I mean, it's just... It's a win-win just all the way around. So I started with one food pantry and I went and I said, if I brought you books, would you give them out on the food pantry day? And they said, absolutely. And it just started with that. And it has, you know, then I, you know, went forward with it as a project and 
here we are. It'll be, it'll be three years in October. And I mean, it's in other states. I mean, my goal for it is for it to be in every food pantry first in Maine and then every food pantry in the country, every food pantry in the world. And so it's just growing. I mean, now that we have Facebook, I mean, it's in New Zealand because somebody in New Zealand saw my post. And, you know, it's just amazing how the word can spread now that we have Facebook. So I'm just so excited to think about. I mean, it just made me so sad to think of 10 million children going to bed at night without being read a bedtime story. Yes. You know, that's it's not okay. No, it's and just not. exactly what you're saying about parents so wanting to do right by their children and the the fact that they don't have the resources to get books, they don't have the resource, you know, if they don't have the resources to buy food, they don't have the resources to go buy books and to make it convenient and to be told like here choose any of these books. I mean, it's just so beautiful. One well, of the things you say on your site is only the children with books can read and only the children who can read will thrive. And I I read that like three times and my heart started beating a little faster. Because <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but it's true. It totally will impact their standard of living and their quality of life. Okay. It totally impacts it. If you are listening to this podcast right now and your heart just started beating fast and you thought, I want to do that in my <laughs> community, I want to send you to Pam's website, which is bookfairypantryproject.com. We will, of course, have a link to it in the show notes at the Read Aloud Revival. But again, that's bookfairypantryproject.com. And you can learn how to get involved there because every child in our community deserves to own their very own book. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. I'm Eliza. And how old are you? Six. Where are you from? Canada. <laughs> and what's one of your favorite books? Ramona. Why do you like the Ramona books? Because she's really silly. <laughs> she's silly? Mm-hmm. Like what does she do? They grab toothpaste and turn it into a set. She squeezed all the toothpaste into this thing? Mm-hmm. What's your name? Isaac. And Isaac, how old are you? Four. Where are you from? Canada. What is one of your favorite books? Ralph on the Motorcycle. Ralph on the Motorcycle? Why is that one of your favorite books? You make sound to make motorcycles. He has to make sound to make the motorcycle drive? What kind of sound does he have to make? What's your name? My name is Sarah. How old are you, Sarah? And I'm six. And where do you live? I live in Washington. And what's your favorite book? Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. What do you like about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? When Aslan died. When Aslan died. Hello, my name is Timothy. I'm eight years old, and I live in Washington. My favorite book is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And my favorite part about it is when they sail to the Indians. My name is Isaiah. I live in Washington. I am 10 years old. My favorite book is Swindle by Gordon Corman. My favorite part is when the kids sneak into the house and take the Honus Wagner card back. Hi, my name's Fiona and I'm from Maine. And I'm seven years old. And my favorite book is Dragonona because it has pasta and I love pasta. And we met Tommy DePaula. He's so amazing. 
My name's Addie, and my my favorite book is Fancy Nancy. Do you know I live in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, and my favorite one is Fancy Nancy. Why? Because a tree captor crashed. She was tugging with the friend she heard off. It crashed when this then Grandpa Y with so many presents and he a mixed with pom poms, ribbons, all kinds like that. So they made a new tree topper, Fancy Nancy's Christmas tree. Yeah, and it's called Sundiferous Christmas. Sundiferous Christmas. What's your name? My name is Asshole, and I'm seven years old. My favorite book. It's a very old name. So it is a series of unfortunate events by. Do you remember the author? Lemony Snit Snicket. Yes. And why do you like the book so much? Because the awful saying, like silly things. Because the awful saying silly things. He's like he's saying. Like one of it, one of the whole, one of the things he said said was like, "Now you must be asleep so you won't be able to finish." It's sad story. So he acts like you won't want to read the book, but actually you really want to keep reading. Yeah. And why else do you like it? Because he, it has a super big seals. Twelve or fourteen books. I think it's fourteen books, and that's why I like it. Hi, my name is Kate, and I'm and I'm five years old, and I live in Louisiana. And my favorite book is Cinderella. What I like about it is that Cinderella and the prince get married. Awesome kids! Thank you so much for your messages. Hey, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. Next week, I'm going to be right here at the same place, same time. I'm going to have a great list of Christmas novels for you. We're going to be talking about wonderful novels and short stories. And I'm also going to tell you where you can find Read Aloud Revival Christmas picture books and audiobook recommendations and all that good stuff. So for everything bookish and Christmassy, you want to come back here next week for a Read Aloud Revival episode 117. It's going to be a good one. Remember that you can get the show notes for today's show at readaloudrevival.com slash 116. And hey, if you have just a second and wouldn't mind popping into iTunes and leaving us a rating or review for Read Aloud Revival, it just means a whole lot to us. And it helps other families find the Read Aloud Revival and get the inspiration and the tools they need to make meaningful and lasting connections with their kids. So thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate every single one of those. And I think that's it for today. So until next time, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books.